0: Hello, hello, hello. This is Sarah Pimbera. Very much looking forward to being at Horror on Main. I fully expect to see you all there. I want to see every single one of you there. Thank you very much, very excited, bye. Horror on Main,
1: a new weekend convention for the horror community. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers,
2: directors, and composers. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us, Memorial Day Weekend 2023, in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details.
0: The Curator
2: will see you now. Are you looking for conversations with some of the hottest names in horror today, like Eric LaRaca, Hayley Piper, Clay McLeod Chapman, Laurel Hightower, Jamie Flanagan, and Allie Wilkes, along with indie horror superstars like
0: Brianna Morgan and Joe Coach? Then you should tune in to Terrifying Tones of Terror, with your host, the curator of horror, Chance Forshee, wherever you get your podcasts an agency that sends social workers into the homes of grieving families to impersonate dead loved ones, the kind old woman who saved a teenager's life, but who now finds herself haunted by the weight of a cheated suicide, and the daughter of a candlestick maker as she tries to survive a painful existence after her father's execution for making human chandeliers of drunken cowboys. These stories and more Ranging from supernatural to the frighteningly domestic, splatterpunk to the weird and cosmic, stay in the pages of Cut to Care, a collection of Little Hurts by Aaron Drys. These are stories about caring too much in a world that doesn't always care for you back. Also featuring an exclusive introduction by writer-director Mick Garris, creator of Masters of Horror. Cut to Care by Aaron Drys, a collection of Little Hurts. Out now.
2: I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams, we have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. Welcome to another episode of Deadhead Space. I'm very excited for this one, but before we dive into that, you can find us on anywhere you listen to your audio podcast or for video version, you can go to YouTube. Just look for Deadhead Space. Today, we are talking to a artist, a musician that I have been a fan of, if not when he first came out, pretty damn close to it. Uh, His name is Crywolf, but for... episode i'll just refer to you as justin justin taylor phillips say hi justin
1: hey everybody what's up
2: yeah seriously i i don't know when it started but i i do remember i do remember that i just found it on youtube one day and i started pursuing writing novels in 2013 because uh, that's when my wife and I started dating, and that's when she kind of kicked me in the butt to get my head in the game. And um, I know that's around the time you started with your first, uh, your first EP. Is that am I am I in the ballpark there?
1: Yeah, I think the first one was something like 2012. Angel, uh, ghosts, yeah.
2: Oh ghost, shit, yeah. Angels, the other one.
1: Yeah, Angels was the second one. Shortly, so, so
2: let's just dive into it then, man. What? this is a big question take it any way you want what got you into creating just in general because i don't know if you did something before the music but you you have this and i told you you know a million times but you are someone that i hope pursues prose too and perhaps even screenwriting graphic novels whatever because you have you have this awesome ability to tell stories in a really unique way so did you start by writing Mm -hmm.
1: stories or, or how did you start creating Um, I played music when I was young, but, uh, it it was always just sort of a side hobby for me. I definitely never had any feelings like, oh, I'll, I'll get into this. Uh, but when I think back, it's like, I mean, I always wanted to, for sure. It just didn't like, I'm a rel I'm relatively pragmatic about stuff. And I think growing up, it was like, wow, you know, who really makes it in music? I mean, that's so rare. So I pursued a lot of other things, but when I think back to, you know, if I could have chosen my dream life, uh, it definitely would have been like being a vocalist and being able to, being able to write in a certain way, like channeling a certain part of myself, sort of writing from that really real unconscious place. Um, But growing up, I never knew how to do that. And that was always such a fascination for me. Like I would listen to music and, I was always a, I was, as a child, I was like extremely sensitive. I mean, I'm extremely sensitive now too, but you know, over the years have learned how to protect that. When I was a kid, I didn't know how. So I was just, I mean, I just cried all the time. Like everything moved me so much in negative and positive ways. So music was just, I mean, a huge part of my life. Um, I grew up homeschooled in a pretty conservative Christian family and was pretty deeply sheltered for most of my life wasn't allowed to play video games, wasn't allowed to watch TV, really, there, there weren't a lot of like, there wasn't a lot of exposure to the outside world. So the two things that really just swept me up um, in this realm of imagination, imagining this world that I didn't really have, uh, was music and reading. And mm. so I just did those all the time. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was always anytime I would try to write music, I was always like, God, it was like the biggest question of my youth. How do people write the things that they write? Like I would listen to something that would move me so deeply. And then I would write something that seems just like that, but something about it just didn't have that thing. It just didn't strike my soul in this in this real authentic way. Um, and so for the first like 19 years of my life, that was like my biggest longing was to be able to, to write from that place. And because it was my biggest longing, it was sort of like a question that my soul was constantly asking. And um, anyway, when I was 19, I went on this road trip. Uh, I bought a motorcycle, dropped out of school. Um, I'd been going to school for economics and international relations. I was originally wanting to get into sustainable development in uh, third world developing countries. Hmm. And... uh, Applied to my dream school to transfer, could ended up not being able to afford it, even though I got in, got all disenchanted with academia. So bought a motorcycle, started traveling around and met these kids over in Reno that were just like everything I had dreamed of uh, growing up. Like all I wanted to do was meet like these street kids and get corrupted by them. And it was just so perfect. They were like those exact kids, like the kids that just drive around throwing bricks through the windows of nice cars (laughs) and like break into casinos and like doing street art all the time. But they were all just like the most brilliantly, authentically artistic people. Um, You know, none of them ever showed their work. They weren't like trying to be professionals at all. They just created all the time. And it just enchanted me so much. They, It was like all of them had this way of of creating things that I'm like, where does that come from? Like, what? why did you say that in this piece of poetry? What made you write that line? And they're like, oh, no, you know. And I'm like, God, it's <laughs> it's got to be something deeper than this sort of methodical, equational-based um, creation that I've been doing for most of my life, trying to emulate. And uh, I ended up doing acid with them for the first time <laughs> in like 2000. And- I guess 2008 and uh, I just I feel like I just absorbed some of their inner their like creative energy through that and I, I came back to uh, North Carolina and I started doing street art and for the first time something about the anonymity of it allowed me to sort of give myself license to just make whatever came out just mm-hmm. like you know just tapping into that stream of conscious sort of Uh, creation. And for the first time I saw myself start to create things that I was like, Oh, wait, where did that come from? Oh, it didn't come from like it, it it wasn't like derivative of something else. It's not like I was taking something else and trying to synthesize it and, and put it out there. It just came, it just erupted from within me and um, eventually started uh, making music from that same place and just kind of decided to take a year and, try music for a while just as an experiment and it ended up um, taking off and started touring and and you know it's crazy. That was 11, 12 years ago and ever since then I've been a professional musician. I've been on doing this.
2: <laughs> wow, yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I just want to go all the way back to the sensitivity thing. I think that for as a fan of yours, Um, it's, man, I just, sorry to talk about me real quick, but this is a weird, being a podcaster, this type of podcast, it's allowed me to become actual friends with people I'm fans of, like you and me, or me and a lot of these writers that I adore, or one of these writers, Jorah Lansdale wrote Bubba Hotep, this movie I love, and he also wrote episodes for the animated Batman series that I loved as a kid, and I'm friends with him now, it's just, it's weird when I'm like, hey, I'm your fan, but we're friends too. It, it, so forgive me for having these moments. Cause it takes me a while to get
1: over that. But I... oh, yeah, I'm sure it would for me too. I've, I've considered getting into podcasting a couple of times and I'm like, I don't know. I I don't know that I can get over that. Sort of thing. <laughs> anytime I'm like, anytime I admire someone's artistic work, I'm just like <laughs> around. The, I really admire people who can podcast and interview people that they really admire because I, I'm so bad at talking to It's super weird.
2: Uh, Chuck Palahniuk was surreal. Um, That guy is one of the smartest motherfuckers I've ever talked to. I I was like, uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to even have a conversation with him. But anyways, Um, uh, you should do podcasts. And if you do, I want to be the guy that helps you free. I'll I'll do everything free charge for you, man. (laughs) (laughs) On air, I'll say that. Um, But your sensitivity, uh, I feel like that, I, I mean... Before we even talked, I feel like I could feel, you know, you, you know, what it's like you can feel passion in people's work, be it art, uh, whatever form it is. But with music, like the way that your your music is, your music videos, you don't have to know you personally to know how your heart is. And I think that's helped you. And the fact I didn't know the graffiti art thing Um I, I have a random question. Your motorcycle, was it a, what brand was it? I I, I personally like Indians. Um Ugh. they're too much I was, money. I was <laughs> about to get
1: I was about to get an Indian earlier this year. Beautiful. Um beautiful but, uh, like those uh those bomber scouts. Have you seen those? those things are so sick, like the little cafe racers that they have. Um it was a uh it was a Honda Shadow of oh, Okay. 15. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think that, that uh, you
2: talked about how that opened you up and that just basically gave you, um, license to be free with everything. Would you say that was the catalyst for who you are today in finding your voice? Because as a writer, like for a prose writer, for me personally, and it's different for everyone, uh, it took me about six years to kind of find my voice to finally feel like i'm not writing a uh, i'll put a famous voice name out there i'm not writing like poe i'm not writing like mm-hmm. king i'm writing like me it took me six years to finally have that click moment um and it took a lot of different pieces and there was one person that i can attribute that finally helped me push over the hump of that but for you with your voice as an a, a musician, a vocalist and all that. Would you say it's those people in Reno that helped you, that started that, um, finding your voice?
1: Yeah, I think definitely um, that sort of, they, they sort of showed me an example of what somebody who is fully inhabiting their own voice, their own unique voice uh, looks like. I think I just had not really seen people like that before. I had listened to the art. I, I had, you know, uh, digested the art of people like that, but I had never sort of seen how they lived or how they were in person or, or you know, what their art that they don't show the world looks like. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it took a little bit to inhabit that same space with music, um, but they were the, they were definitely the catalyst for that for sure. I mean, I, I think I I basically I f- I figured out how to channel that into street art first, which was a lot easier because it's so anonymous. You know, you do something. The The worry is that when you tap into some sort of more stream of consciousness and by stream of consciousness, I don't mean like just a bunch of babble. I just mean like kind of doing things as they erupt out of you. Um, one of the biggest fears, I think, is that you're going to make nonsense or that, you know, you think about your, your stream of thought and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I need to make something that is going to communicate. Um, but with street art, it was easy because if you do something that sucks, nobody knows it's you regardless. Like I was never, ta- <laughs> I never told anybody what I was doing. So it, it's like, well, if I make something shitty, you, you know, nobody cares. So that was first. And then it was with poetic writing. And then finally, eventually it it happened with music.
2: Do you do your own artwork for? I was going to wait until a little bit later on, but Exuvium, your latest album, for example, like
1: that is gorgeous, man. Dude, like, yeah, it, the, is that you? Uh, well, it's me in the photo, but no, I mean, um, but sorry, was that your artwork? No, no, man, I wish I could make stuff like that. No, guess <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Is this, um, this guy Dustin Hollywood who um who runs Naked Mag, which is um, like a pretty famous art magazine? But mm. I linked with him really early on uh, through a label that i briefly released on and um he's we just really clicked creatively and he's done my artwork ever since it's like been so nice just to have somebody that is so involved with my project that they are like the person who does that you know like Mm -hmm. i would not release an album with artwork that wasn't done by him every single time he does it and every single time he just like evolves to suit the new stuff like he's just so good at sort of figuring out what's going on and really feeling it and then making stuff from that same place.
2: So I'm just going to rattle off a few. Did he, when did you hook up with him? Do you remember what year? The first was? one
1: he did it for was uh cataclysm.
2: Okay. Yeah. I can definitely, so when see I
1: started being in the artwork, cause he's a photographer.
2: Okay, that makes complete sense because I'm looking at your uh, discography right now. Cataclysm and Cataclysm and uh, Skeletons, for example, definitely mm. have that same style. Whereas, dysphoria, yeah, the, dr- the
1: more animated style was for the first ones because I just didn't, I just didn't really want to put my own face on there. I, I hadn't really gotten to the place where I was comfortable being sort of the face of the project. It's interesting because Dysphoria,
2: you got that. I'm gonna say it's a mascot. I I, I don't know if that's how you look at it, but that you know the the wolf mask Mm -hmm. and it's a certain style and that that's evolved kind of like uh you know in some mass killer movies but it's evolved over the years it seems slightly variations but it's pretty much the same look um did you make that because that that definitely fits that i'm not saying it aged poorly but it definitely fits that time of music because um I read that you started in uh, dubstep. Is that
1: yeah, accurate? Yeah. So the first, um, the first project that I had was also called cry wolf, but it was cry space wolf. And it was a mm. separate thing from this one. I just happened to be like, eh, I'm going to use that name. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was just like, that was more just like fun stuff that we were doing. I had a drummer. It was just like thrash, really heavy stuff back when dubstep first started happening. Um it really excited me because I was a hardcore kid growing up. and it was the first electronic music I had heard that had that sort of like, you know, head banging, really like thrashy sort of feeling to it. Um, and actually, the mask came from uh, my drummer at the time. His mom had this like leather mask made for him to wear on stage, and it kind of had a somewhat similar design, and then we sort of worked from that and started using that as uh, one of the symbols and then it sort of evolved into its own world and lore and everything from that.
2: Was that, you mean symbol, like for his drums or like a symbol for. No,
1: no. Like just the, you know, it became the logo for the project. is that be a,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer too, but like, that'd be a badass symbol to have.
1: <laughs> oh no, no. Yeah. It was just, he just wore the mask on stage and then we, we sort of used that mask and started working from that. Um, and developed it into a thing. Oh,
2: okay. Um, I, I liked I personally loved the time of dubstep because I got to have some fun with my little brother and we the only time I've tried well, no, one of the few times I've tried Molly was with him <laughs> when we were big into dubstep. We I didn't really go to clubs, but we went to one in Providence and I got a back massage from some chick at one point and like an actual, no euphemism, an actual back massage. I don't know how that happened. And I was just like having a fun time. And we're listening to dubstep, just totally tripping, man. So that that's my experience with dubstep. I, I know that I had a short life. So I just thought that I, I wanted to wait when we were talking on here to ask you about that. That's really interesting. Um, I know we got a lot to talk about with your recent, album but i want to dive into your book because that that can give us a lot of backstory towards the front of the episode as opposed to later on i think that that might be important cool so yeah i mean just dive into it i, I don't want to give anything away what What do you want people to know potential readers to know about it
1: you know ba- basically the, this whole um double album series widow and exuvium um, that are both just part of a double album called Oblivion. Um, they were made during just like the ultimate dark night of the soul. Um, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of people go through at around the age that I was like the end of your twenties going into your thirties. Um, it's like, it's kind of like a second, a second bout of teenage energy, almost. Um, it, it's like, I feel like when you're young, you're all of the structures of your life, all the paradigms that you use, or that you look through are sort of formed based on your parents and the way that you grew up. And then, you know, that teenage energy comes, which just just like burn everything down for the sake of burning things down. And I hate everything, you know, you just, it's like, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's been, it. it it's really made me appreciate teenagers more because th- throughout the years I've been like, you know, I like everybody except fucking teenagers, <laughs> teenagers just bummed out all the time. They just hate everything. They're just rebelling for the sake of rebelling. They don't even know what they want. And, and now I realize like that's, that's the whole point of that, of that phase in your life. You're, you're, you're destroying all the structures that are there. So that you can make new ones, and sometimes that looks like destruction, just for the sake of destruction. Um, but destruction for the sake of destruction is still positive um, in the right periods of your life. And so, I feel like you know when you're a teenager, you you break all those things down, and near the end of your teenage years, you sort of start finding your own um, approximation of of what a human being should look like, of what what matters to you, what how you should sort of structure your life, and then at the end of your twenties you're like, you start seeing through all of that. You start seeing that, you know, oh, I'm sort of seeing through the same paradigms. I'm using the same structures that I was using back when I was 19, when I just sort of was like, maybe this is the way to live. (laughs) And so all of the things that gave you joy before start feeling empty and sort of lose their saturation. And a lot of those structures start cracking and, and showing their, you know, inherent instability. And so it feels like your life is falling apart. It feels like, you know, I I just felt like I was going to die. I thought it was like for three years straight, I sort of felt like, I feel like an old man at the end of his life just sitting on his porch, like looking at his great grandkids and being like, yep, I'm going to die pretty soon here. Like this is, this is the end. Like everything's sort of, you know, like toned down and, and this is it's time to go. Um, and it's not like I wanted to make that happen, but I just felt like everything had lost its meaning. Everything had lost its, its vibrance. I had just seen everything there was to see. And, uh, yeah, it was really like a huge existential crisis for, for like three years. I mean, for long enough that I was having a hard time remembering that it had ever been any other way. And so, um, One of the things that ended up sort of turning that whole period around was uh, going up and staying with some friends in Portland and talking to this guy, Xander, who's now one of my best friends, um, who had studied the work of Carl Jung really intensely. Mm. And he, um, you know, I was just telling him about everything that was happening with me. And he uh, gave me a book on Jungian shadow work, which is essentially sort of the process of... I mean, it's predicated on the, this idea that no, no characteristics in a human being are inherently negative. They can be used for negative or positive um, purposes. They have they have growth focused manifestations, and they have sort of death and void focused manifestations. Um, and so, starting from that, you know, first principle you essentially start uncovering what things you've repressed inside of you. Um, sorry, because the uh, the other thing that it's sort of the other first principle of shadow work is that everyone grows up observing the world around them and taking note of what, what gives them and other people acceptance and love and what gives them and other people rejection and alienation from society. And then they mold themselves to uh, emphasize the parts that give them love and acceptance and de-emphasize the parts that uh, that might lead to rejection. And sometimes that de-emphasis goes so far that it's completely repressed from the personality um, and completely denied by your conscious mind. So the, the process of shadow work is essentially uncovering what what those things are that you have repressed Uh, because you have learned that if you were to let them out, they would lead to rejection or alienation or, um, you know, just negative consequences. And, um, you know, everybody has a lot of these things and the the process of shadow work is fucking gnarly. Like, I don't, I think it's hard for people to really, and this was a observation that Jung made as well. Mm -hmm. He was like, it's, it's unfortunate that, uh, people only really approach the path of like further individuation or self-actualization that's like his word for it um, when when they're in like times of profound crisis or when like the worst things in the world have happened to them like it and it but it makes sense it's like if things are going well why would you need to pursue you know trying to fix things uh, so it is something that I feel like people have to be desperate enough to do because it's and it, it can be an incredibly painful process because it's essentially taking all of the things that you hate the most and showing you that you are those things and that you have those things inside of you. And that some, in certain situations that you actually hate these things the most in other people, because they are some of the strongest characteristics in you. Uh, And I mean, it was a crazy process for me. It was like, i I uncovered, all of these repressed memories, I had been repressing like crazy. I mean, I was like, I had this whole other side of my life that I literally did not remember. Like if somebody had asked me, I'd be like, Oh, I'm not like that at all. I hate people like that. And I had just been doing those things, but then just that doesn't, that doesn't fit with my self-concept. So I'm just going to, you know, snip that out of my memory. And uh, when you engage in the actual practice of shadow work, a lot of times those memories come to the surface and uh yeah I mean it it really sucks to learn that you have embodied the things that you actually have the most visceral like negative reaction to in other people and I um I just realized that there was this entire sort of uh it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Mr. Hyde yeah this whole Mr. Hyde or Mrs. whoever you know side to my uh personality that, that I was unaware of. But the thing, that the, the reason that shadow work is important is once again, returning to that first principle, no characteristic is inherently negative. So a lot of times the things that we're repressing actually hold the keys to, to our growth, to the things that we need the most. So for instance, anger was one of the things that I repressed a lot. Um, I learned from my father that anger was only negative; that it only hurt the people around you. Um, by watching him be angry and hurt the people around him, and uh, so I just completely repressed it. I mean, I, I thought that I did not have anger. I, I, I was there were moments where I would just be flabbergasted, like, "Man, I just don't get angry about anything." But in reality, there was this whole other side of me where I would get so angry and all the anger that had been repressed at all these other things would just like flood into these certain situations. And I would just turn into a maniac. Um, And, you know, if shadow work stopped at uncovering those things, that would be kind of shitty. It's like, I just had to remember that I had like been a maniac and lost friends because I had like went so crazy in certain situations. But the reason that it was important is that anger actually held the key to a lot of the, the sort of stunted growth that I had, like it was the key to get out of a lot of the really shitty situations that I was in because anger in its negative form can be rage or abuse or things like that. But anger in its positive form is the drive for growth. It's healthy assertiveness. It's drawing boundaries, knowing when to go no against Mm -hmm. something, whether that's a person crossing your boundaries or whether that's, you know, actions that you're doing that you don't want to be doing ways that you're living that you're like, no, fuck this. I don't want to be this sort of person. You know, like that's the same anger that also results in these negative things. But when you repress the negative, you're you're repressing the characteristic overall. So I was in desperate need of some life force and drive the the stuff that anger brings um, to get out of a lot of the situations that I was in. Uh, so, and, and, and the other crazy thing is that a lot of times there are characteristics that you would think you would never want to repress Mm -hmm. things that are just like, oh my gosh, that's such a beautiful thing, but they get repressed because you're paying attention to the negative manifestations of those things like sensitivity. Um, that was something that I had really and it was sort of a, weirdly enough, it was still coming out of my art all the time. Like my art always tells the truth about who I am, but in oh, terms wait, wait,
2: pause of- on that, my art tells me the truth about who I am. That's fucking beautiful. Sorry. I just had to say it again. Cause I need to hear <laughs> twice that I'm writing that down.
1: Yeah. I still, I still don't pay attention to it nearly enough. I don't like listen to its truth nearly enough. I'm like, wow, that's weird that I'm making that. Um, But, uh, you know, so my sensitivity still came out in my art a lot, but in terms of who I was in society, who I was on a day-to-day basis, my relationship with myself, I was very desensitized to everything um, because growing up, it was a negative thing. Like, yes, it's beautiful when it's, you know, it is beautiful and it's, it's a beautiful thing, especially when channeled into art, but on a practical basis, my God, what a, what an impractical and, and, inconveniencing characteristic. I mean, just b- being so easily broken by things all the time. I mean, it was like one of my biggest woes growing up. I just felt like I was so weak. Like, you know, things would happen to me that happened to another kid and they just brush it off. And instead I just like break down weeping, you know, because somebody laughed at me about something. Like it was just, it was like, it, it was always something I hated about myself. And uh, so I had repressed that. And um, as such, I, I projected it outwards and was always a, was always in relationships with people who are super sensitive because like my soul craved it, but I felt like I didn't have it at all. And uh, over the process of engaging in shadow work, I realized that, that that thing that I was craving in other people was really one of my strongest characteristics. Like right. I had also repressed all the memories of me being so sensitive and me crying all the time at things. I was thinking that I was just this like tough, you know, punk street kid didn't give a fuck about anything. And it's like, sorry, that's just not you. And as a kid, <laughs> I wanted it to be, you know, it was just a negative thing, the sensitivity, but as an adult, like I love that part of me. And mm. through shadow work, I was able to rediscover that and form a relationship with that part of myself again. And so to bring that, you know, it was like before there were these chunks of myself that were on the surface and there were all these other chunks that were deep beneath you know the bottom of the iceberg and through shadow work you sort of bring those things up and in in doing that you become a much more like fully formed person a much more whole person um, so anyway I started like just voraciously devouring the works of Jung um, especially shadow work and just really learning everything there was to learn about it for like two years and uh, I started wanting to tell everybody about it. I was just like, I was just having these conversations with my friends all the time. Like every time I'd be at a party, instead of, you know, going and having a good time, I would be like sitting with a person and being like, oh, and there's this, and, and you repress parts of your person. I was just like, so like, it was so fascinating to me because I had never thought that way. Um, but every time, every time that hour long conversation would end and I'd be like, I'll give you a book about it. I never really had a good one to give because (laughs) many of them are just academic. They're like written for other psychologists. And uh, you know, I love reading stuff like that. I love taking complex information and distilling it in my mind to, to more simple principles. But um, most people don't, it's not like a common thing that people love to do. So I think eventually I heard this quote from somebody that was like, write books about the things that you feel like a broken record talking about and write what you want to read yeah yeah or write what you want to give people that was really like yeah it was like okay well if there was a book that i could that that would be the go-to to to recommend to people to learn about this stuff what would it be okay it doesn't exist so i guess i'll just write it (laughs) um i actually originally wrote this like 20 page pdf document just to give friends because i'd start talking to them about it and i'd be like I, I don't really Okay, let me just send you this thing. Just read this because like, you know, it gives it gives the whole breakdown. And then yeah, just eventually over quarantine was like I had some extra time and decided to spend 3 months just writing a book about it. Um and so the first draft was written then and uh yeah, I just sort of you know, wrote it as like a approachable you know, shadow work for dummies essentially. Um just, you know, because I felt like a lot of the information, yeah, it had not been really synthesized into simple elements, like the way that I explained it. It's a lot of times it comes across as so dense. It's like when I was first reading it, it's like, okay, wait, so archetypes and repression, there's just so many terms that I didn't understand. But then once I understood it, it was like, this isn't actually that complicated. It's a pretty novel idea, but it's not it's not super complex um so yeah i just wrote it essentially to be the book that i give my friends and if that's all it all it turns out to be then that's fine with me but um know yeah, i hope i i think a lot of my fan base the people that follow me um it seems like they're always in a similar spot to where i was like two years ago um and so I would hope that it'll be super helpful to a lot of them, especially because I've mentioned shadow work a lot, but have never really given a full breakdown of it or anything, any like practical steps for how to engage with that sort of thing.
2: I'm glad you wrote it. And I'm especially glad that you wrote an autobiographical piece in it, well, pieces, because um, it really does talk in more detail about, you know, your childhood and whatnot, which is important. It's really important to connect because you know, writing fiction. Uh, if you read about a bad guy being a dick, and that's all you know, well, you're not going to have any empathy for them. Not right, that, right. that that's your goal, but like to really understand where you're coming from. Which people already connect to your music, they'll leave, they'll further connect with you. And I thought it was really good how you related shadow work, and then this is where. You know why I found it to be essentially one of the most important lessons I could ever learn, and I, I really loved how you just kind of where you start off, and um, I had a good experience with it. Um, did you have fun writing it too, or was it you know just cathartic, or or was it just kind of like a whole shotgun blast of emotions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a good time writing it because I, I really love anytime I get the chance to engage with other art forms in a more serious way, like really dedicate some time to doing something. And I often don't have a good enough reason to do so. Or I don't have time away from Crywolf to do so. But over quarantine, it was like my tours got canceled. <laughs> You know, there wasn't that much, you know, I had so much free time on my hands and it was like, oh, cool. I can like be a writer for three months and wake <laughs> up every morning thinking about this instead of waking up every morning thinking about the album that I need to finish or the tour I have to build. Um, so yeah, I had a really good time and it was, it was a pretty straightforward process because I had had those conversations so many fucking times. So it was just like writing. It was just copying down the you know exact conversation I had had with, so many different people and then, you know, extrapolating on it more when I um, sent it to a couple, sent it to like Xander and a couple other people that knew about this stuff to read over and, you know, sort of added more then and then uh, sent it to you. And, you know, with your beta notes sort of, you know, zeroed in on some other areas that I needed to go into more. Um, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, I think it brought up a lot of questions Um, and sort of quandaries that I don't deal with in my music because my music is so much more poetic and abstract. And Mm -hmm. this is just direct writing. Things like, you know, how honest should I be about this stuff? You know, how brutal do I need to, how brutal of a picture should I paint? Uh, As brutal as it was, or should I sort of soften it for the reader? Or if not even for the reader, for the people involved you know, out of, out of concern for them and their reputation or, you know, there's just a lot of, um, it was definitely a new sort of exercise in vulnerability for me. Um, not just writing about my pain and vulnerable, uh, subjects in abstract, but instead writing about them in a very straightforward way where there's no, there's no, nothing that's open to interpretation, you know?
2: Yeah, um, I get it. I understand that. And that's what a lot of writers face with. And uh, yeah, I'm sure. Joe Lansdale said it best. He, he he said, write like everyone you know is dead because then you're just. Oh, that's
1: good. Okay. That makes me feel better. <laughs> oh, there's.
2: I might be missing one or two things, but literally there's just about one thing I won't write about. And that's what my wife tells me about because she's uh, she's a social worker. What she tells me about with her clients i don't write about that's off the table and obviously it's private stuff between me and her but beyond that i'll write about pretty much anything and if someone a friend or family member get, gets mad at me i'll probably understand it but uh, you know i i don't want to look back when i'm an old man and be like i wish i wrote that how yeah. i wanted to you know yeah. totally. um there is a question there's a lot of random questions but this one would apply to what we're talking about now i think um Username's tequila, tequila. Yeah, I can't talk. And they, tequila, tequila.
1: Just tequila. <laughs> just tequila. Their username is just tequila.
2: Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. No, it's the right. it's. I don't even think that's it. It's just the name I can see. I don't think that's their handle, but whatever. Um, oh, wait, hold on. Quickly pause. I just have to pee.
1: And in... oh, wait, no, I have my wine right here. I can wait to pee. What if you pee in the wine? You know. I've tried that and it it doesn't taste the way you think it does.
2: Can I keep this part in? Cause that's funny as hell.
1: You know, it's, just, it's like every, I feel like every time you're with people drinking wine, they're like, you know what it would go really well with this? If we like peed in it and everyone's always like, God, that would probably be so good. But when you actually try it, it's not good. <laughs> It's straight up terrible. (laughs) Tastes like piss. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it really does. Honestly, just (laughs) like piss, but like with wine mixed in.
2: (laughs) Uh, Shit, I forgot what I was gonna say. All right, so Uh, tequila. Yeah, asking the question. They asked, "How do you feel when writing music?" Well, we're talking about books, but you know,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it can also apply to poetic prose and stuff like that um well I guess those are I guess I actually I don't know that it that the same answer would apply to both because one I do for a profession and one I do because if I didn't I feel like I would die and poetry is what I do because I would feel like I would die if I didn't or I would feel like a part of me was dead um so poetry usually is just like it's only positive feelings when I'm making it because I'm doing it to express something and it doesn't matter if it's bad because nobody ever sees it besides myself, (laughs) uh, music being what I do as, as, you know, for my career, it's more complicated. And I think this is the, the, the thing that a lot of people that want to turn their hobby art into a profession deal with is like, it just totally changed. I mean, I'm sure you experienced that. It's so different when you're doing it, as your work, you know, and suddenly it's not, Oh, I'm doing this because I want to, and Oh, I can't wait to get away and do this. It's like, okay, now you have to do like, this is something you have to do now. And, uh, especially if you have like a complex against being told what to do or doing anything that you have to do, then it can become complicated. So anyway, I think, um, you know, most I've, I've formed enough systems that facilitate, uh, getting into a space where I'm just like flowing and creating art from a really deep place so for the most part nowadays when I'm writing music it's it's hard to even say how I feel because a lot of times I sort of get into this almost like trance space and I was just talking to a friend about it it's like the difference between making music when I just feel like I have to, and making it from the right place is like when I'm making it from the right place. Doing what comes next is like is like somebody asking me to count from one to twenty. It's like every step. I know exactly what's next. It's not a question at all. I know exactly what the song needs. It's like every time I'm making something, the next thing is like, oh, I can't wait to do that. Oh, I have to do this. Oh my God, I have to add this. I have to add this. It's not. Oh, what do I do with this? How do I develop it? What should I add here? What did I, what have I done in the past? It's like, I know exactly I've entered a, a different world and I'm following all the rules of that world. It's like getting portaled to another dimension with completely different rules, but you suddenly know all of the rules and then you just follow those rules. Um, and so in terms of what I'm feeling, a lot of times it's more just, uh, excitement because you're just watching something happen through you uh and you know it definitely feels the way that a lot of writers have described it of like something else is writing your stuff like i don't really write the things i just sort of like open myself up to the muse or Mm. whatever um so that's how writing usually feels whereas like mixing and mastering and finishing tracks that's just that's just fucking straight discipline. That is not fun. It is not enjoyable to me. (laughs) That's why my albums get done. Like the writing gets done for my albums in three or four months. And then the rest of the eight months to a year before it's released is just the mixing process and just all those little finishing details that really take what's there and make it so people can hear it instead of it being all buried and, you know, clumped together Um, like editing for, you know, like it's, yeah, it's just like editing for writing. Like if you kind of stream of consciousness wrote something and all the substance is there and you know exactly what it's doing and you're like, it's brilliant, but then it doesn't have any punctuation or something, you know, it's like, it's like, if people read it, they're not going to actually perceive what it is because it's not presented in a way that's intelligible. So that whole process is is like looking back at the stuff that I made while in the trance and being like, okay, how do all right, I know what's happening here, but how do I how do I fit this all into two speakers so people can actually hear it?
2: That's interesting.. Um... Man, I, You know what? I don't have anything smart to say or interesting to reply with beyond I got another question that I'm really curious to hear about and this is by Sav D. What cry can't talk. What cry wolf songs do you think would be good for a wedding? I'm interested to hear that too.
1: Um, The Lazarus of Westlake from the recent album. <laughs> Oh man, if somebody played that it's like literally the worst ultra violent to play That's at the life. wedding. The Lazarus of Westlake is just like about the infinite nature of loneliness. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I mean at a at a wedding, I I feel like most of my most of the elements of romantic relationships that compel me are more um I guess in the sort of bittersweet elements of it, um, the idealization, the, the, the shattering of these idealizations and things like that. So, a lot of it is more, a lot of it when I write about relationships, it's much more with a melancholic tone. Um, but I would say anything from the Runaway EP, that's like the only stuff that I've ever written that's like romantic. And optimistic in any sense of the word. <laughs> Most of the other stuff is like pretty, pretty uh, depressing. Or I guess some of the stuff from Angels is is um, like the song Angels itself, I think is is really beautiful. That's probably what I would play at a wedding.
2: Yeah, in all seriousness, that's a funny one. Uh, that's not a funny one. Dude, my brain is farting up a goddamn storm. I meant to say that's a good one. I need yeah, more I caffeine think- too. Um it's a beautiful song. Is that that's the one where it's uh Eden? Is it Eden or Echo? I always mix them up.
1: Uh no, Eden is on Stomach It. Uh that's from Dysphoria. Angels okay. is, is like once I was afraid I'd find you. That's it. Yeah. It opens the album and then it also is its own song later.
2: That was really uh that, so that was like a theme that you had through that album. That's right. That was mm-hmm that's a really neat one i like the artwork in that um i'm gonna be jumping around with some questions and whatnot but i'm gonna jump to your oh i just clicked something i'm gonna jump to your tiktok probably the only time through this conversation I'm I do it.
1: To- oh no
2: no it's what <laughs> look this one So tell me about it because, like, I didn't expect that for your content and I loved it. And it was kind of like zombie esque. It felt like 28 days later and it was just fucking nuts, man. Why was that the just stream of consciousness coming to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, it's weird. It's like there's this whole other side to my personality that, um, has a lot to do with humor um, because throughout my life, I feel like the two things that have allowed me to survive in a world that seems so painful is um, really beautiful art and humor. And that's always been one of the main connecting points between me and my best friends and the people that I'm in relationships with. Uh, is our shared sense of humor, but it's weird that it it really only comes out in one on one intimate relationships, like people I'm really really close to. Or Usually, when you drinking a P1. What? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's, laughs> um, but like, I mean, it, I would say humor is one of the only other areas of life where I felt as much of a flow state as I have with. Like poetry and music, um, and yet keep it's that com- preserved. Sorry to cut you off. You keep yeah. That, it's you know, like pr- completely not exposed to uh, the world. I mean, it has been like if like for fans that used to follow my Snapchat, I did that sort of stuff all the time. But or like who used to watch me on Twitch, there were times where it came out. But in general, I think I sort of felt like it didn't really fit with my presentation as an artist Um, and uh, the most recent relationship that I was in with this musician Ronit um, we had this like entire world of our sense of humor and you know I was never like that around our friends like we had this huge friend group and nobody really thought that I was that funny I mean I'm sure they thought I was funny in a normal sort of you know social way but not in like that sort of way. Like my favorite thing in the world is being in a relationship with somebody and then just learning how to make them shit themselves all the time by just developing these like th- two year long gags and things. Um, it, To me, it's like a really meaningful thing uh, in a world that hurts so much being able to have these moments of transcendence. I mean, there's a reason that like the joker or the the jester is like seen as one of the most transcendent archetypes um even though it would seem like this crude or lewd sort of like base level profane archetype in reality it's like one of the absolute highest you know most like divine energy almost um so anyway uh she was always like you need a you know, do stuff like this more publicly. And I was always like, it's more special to me because it's only with the people that I really know super well, it Mm. makes it way more. I just prize it a lot more. But I think her saying that just sort of made me start thinking about it and being like, why do I censor this stuff? Like when I want to do stuff like this, I'm often like, "Eh, how does that make sense of me as this like really serious artist? And uh, yeah, over the last year and a half, I've just been... You know, I kind of went through this period where I was considering not doing Crywolf anymore and not being in the public eye anymore. And mm-hmm. um, so when I reapproached doing it, I was like, well, I have to do this in a different way. And one of those ways of doing it in a different way is just not trying to present any particular image as an artist, not trying, not being like, well, how does this fit with Crywolf? Just like doing, just whenever inspiration strikes me, just doing those things. And um, so, yeah, I, I uh, just, Like I used to do stuff like that on my Snapchat and I would like make an entire crazy video just for people to see it for like 24 hours and then it completely disappears. Like I just (laughs) love doing it. And uh, so, yeah, I was kind of like, Oh, TikTok's kind of that sort of platform. Like it's not like linked with your other things. It's not like it's, I don't know. It seems separate enough that I can sort of just do random shit on it. And uh, I actually have like two more of those, videos um that i just haven't released yet because i don't know i don't know when i will but um during that period i was like just making shit like that all the time and i only released one of them i'm excited for you to see the other two i think
2: yeah i follow, yeah follow you with the deadhead space i don't use a personal one i just because you know what i kind of did something like that too with my personal instagram unless it's someone i'm friendly with like, have had a conversation with them or friends or whatever, or it's family, I'll remove them. And I got dead headspace for like arts, art shit. But mm-hmm. my personal one's just for like people to see pictures of my wife and my kid and whatever. So I, I get the separation there. Um, I, that's new for me. Um,
1: yeah, I think um, I've always kind of been, <clears throat> I've gone back and forth with how much separation I want. Because it's not, it's not just like, oh, let me present this image. It's also, I think having a separation between Justin Phillips and Crywolf originally came about because I didn't want Cry Wolf becoming my personality. I mean, it was something I was doing constantly. Hmm. I, and I was like, this could easily become who I am to the point where so much of my personality is intertwined with it that that I become so much more possessive over it that like the idea, you know, that, that if I make an album that people don't like, it's not just, Oh, cry wolf did an album that people don't like. It's like, this is me that people don't like, you know, I wanted to have that that, um, sort of buffer between or, or in the positive way. Oh, if people are obsessed with cry wolf, it's like this feeling that they're obsessed with me. I deserve, you know, Oh, when I'm in front of a crowd, it's not, Hey, I'm playing the part of cry wolf here and people are like going crazy. It's, uh, this is for me, you know, and then you get ego wrapped up in that. And I I just never wanted to, like, play the dangerous game of intertwining those things. Um, makes sense. Yeah. So
2: just hold off with this question, because there's a lot to it, but it covers. We've already covered a lot of it. Um, the very last question in the string of questions is pretty. It's funny. I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but uh, from. Isaps. saps i don't know if i'm saying that right i-s-a-a-p-s uh first question what is it like to be off record records you just answered that uh being just justin uh what do you pay attention to in the world and all the questions that comes in like what moves you and how do you see yourself Uh, what are your favorite things and do you like reptiles and stuff? So I could repeat any of that if you want.
1: Uh, let's see. What do I pay attention to? I definitely don't pay attention to a lot. Uh, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of things in the world that I don't – that I just can't let myself pay attention to or else it just takes uh, – Like politics? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I, like, really – paid attention to politics a lot. And um, I just never saw anything positive coming of it. You know, I mean, I, I feel sort of guilty about it. Like it's some sort of civic duty to be involved in like public discourse about politics. But I just, I don't know, I'm such a like meaning focused person. And it's so hard for me to find the meaning in it. It's in all the endless posturing and one-sided thinking and you know just this sort of dualistic view of the universe um so things like that I definitely don't pay attention to or sports or popular figures or popular music or I just I'm really sort of ignorant of the world in a lot of ways um it's very often that I have conversations where people are like oh well you know about this right and I'm like fuck no I have no idea who that is or what I just like I'm very focused on the things that I feel a sense of meaning from and everything else just seems very um, it just doesn't captivate me or hold my interest in any sort of way. So I'm usually just focused on whatever's moving me at the moment. um, Whether that's a book that I'm reading or whether that's some music that I just found or something that I just made, or, um, you know, a piece of pieces of writing that I have recently read Uh, that's usually what my mind loops on and fixates on. I'm a very like hyper fixated person. I've realized over the last couple of years, like when I, the things I focus on, I focus on so intensely and everything else just becomes. So it just doesn't mean anything to me, which is the bane of a lot of people who have any sort of personal investment in, the way that I upkeep my life or my finances or uh, (laughs) the cleanliness of my house or things like that. But it's like, dude, if I start making something and I'm super into it, it's like the idea, it's the idea that anything would matter anywhere close to the amount that that thing matters. I mean, it feels like I'm like staring at the face of God. And then somebody's like, well, you have to, if you don't keep your environment clean, then you know, you won't be very productive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I just get so obsessed with things, and uh and then yeah, have somebody's like, "Oh, you gotta do your taxes or something," like, fuck taxes! <laughs> Look at this thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm learning to be more of an adult in that regard, but but also that's I don't you know returning to the whole shadow work thing. Any characteristic can be positive or negative. It's like I experienced the negative effects of that in you know certain certain daily upkeep things falling through the cracks but then I also experienced the positive of that in the sense that I think that's what makes me such a comprehensive artist or like when I do an album or something it's so in-depth because I am able to have this you know almost um medically concerning amount of (laughs) psychologically concerning amount of hyper focus on on something
2: i'm like that too man that's why i'm recording with you the 176 episode in under three years (laughs) yeah i think there are
1: certain things that it's like i mean you look at and you're like how did that that is so there are things that you can do as a hyper focused person that if you were not focused on that and you thought about the amount of work required to do it it would seem completely insurmountable it would be like no fucking way i'm ever gonna do that but when you're in that hyper focused state it's like you know you're just you're not even thinking about it and you can accomplish a lot so i'm really thankful for that quality yeah. of myself, which is why people when people shit on me for you know th- being a fucking trash monster when i'm working on an album i'm just like i don't give a fuck. i don't <laughs> i love this part of me like the dirtier my room is the 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 better art I'm making. Like, Oma, there's like a direct correlation between those two
0: things.
2: I've learned something in throughout our, you know, calls, texts and shit. When we don't talk, and it's not like I'm urging, like, where the fuck is he? I've learned something where I'm like, when you reply, you're like, oh, I was working on this. I've noticed that, like, the the longer stretches of not hearing from you means the more in-depth yeah. you are with work. And I get that as an artist. I never get, like, I am I never take it the wrong way. But I'm laughing because I I can relate. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And
1: totally.
2: I, I don't really have, I mean, I can see why it's annoying. I mean. It annoys my wife when I'm just talking about one damn thing. Right.
1: I mean, yeah, it creates strain in relationships for sure, because, uh, you know, people don't. I feel like you have to be an artist to take that as a positive, like, oh, they're not responding. Oh, they must be so deep in something that they're super (laughs) passionate about. Instead, it's like, oh, they're not responding. They hate me. And I'm like, no, because I was looking in <laughs> the face
0: of God.
1: <laughs> I mean, in the way that it feels to me, it feels like that. Like, <sighs> and and then if somebody's like, but you haven't responded to me, I'm like,
0: what does that have to
1: do with anything? <laughs> Why would that matter right now? Uh, then I see you're
2: into Oblivion come out on YouTube. I'm like, this is fucking great. This like, you should make a movie. Are, are you considering making any kind of documentary or movie at any point? Because I, I don't know what you do behind the scenes if you edit the film or or video or anything like that but they're fucking good man
1: um yeah i do i mean i'm i'm you know writing the overarching outline for the episode and um you know certain episodes i got pretty involved in the editing and then other ones I like left primarily to uh Wayne Harvey who's 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 doing this documentary my friend Johnny did the last one for Cataclasm and then uh, his friend Wayne in Berlin uh, did this one and um yeah it's more like I'm trying to get better at delegating so for this documentary I was trying to do more of like giving notes like for the trailer you know, I, I had this particular thing in mind and, you know, usually I'm not very good at communicating that. So he made something and then I was like, okay, give me the project. And then just, you know, did the whole, because I, I started, I did video along before I did audio. So I, i edit pretty quickly. Um, but then the other episodes, I sort of let, you know, more like gave notes about things. Um, but yeah, I kind of make the voiceover with the audio and then it kind of, you know, informs where things should go. Um And i love doing video stuff you know i i did both of those music videos uh for for the last album uh, ada and mabul the fawn and cephalotus ones and that was really fun but also like it's not nearly as rewarding in the end because like i don't know you know for that the underwater one i like spent four months doing free diving training to like learn how to hold my breath for five minutes and then you know, it gets like 30,000 views or something. And I'm like, okay, that was way more work than this is worth, you know? Uh, Cause ultimately music is the thing that music and, and poetic writing. Those are the two things that if nobody liked it would be, it would still be a hundred percent worth it for me. It would never be like, Oh, why did I make that? Fuck. I put so much work and nobody liked it. It'd be <laughs> like, oh, well, fuck you guys. I don't care. Like I'm not like I'd be mad at people for not liking it, but it's just like, but fuck them. <laughs> I like it enough that if somebody doesn't like it, it says something about them. It doesn't say something about the art, I but gotcha. that. you know, just because I'm so into it. Uh, whereas like music videos and things like that, I do more with the, the viewer in mind. I'm like, Oh, how can I create this really cool world? And so there's a little bit more like stake that I'm putting into it uh if something doesn't do well it's like a lot more discouraging for me than my albums because a number of my albums haven't done well and i'm just like i don't fucking care i love it and then they end up doing really well later like just being slept on for a couple years
2: that's crazy i mean your albums are they're high quality they're great i mean I, i don't know why they wouldn't do well um
1: well like the last one widow yeah um you know i was i was making like these heavily produced very kind of high quality emotional um pieces and so all of my following kind of expected that and then and then i made widow which was just a mess of an album but a mess of an album on purpose like so many situations where i would record a vocal take and like my voice would fuck up. And then I'd be like, yeah, that, you know, I'm going to use that. I'm going to leave that note like off tune and I'm going to leave this vocal sounding like shit. I'm going to leave this production not sounding clean and just being so messy because that was the place that I was at. But when I released it, I was like, I don't think people are going to like this very much. And they didn't. I mean, some people were like, you know, I mean, people were like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is interesting. If they were nice. And then if they weren't, they were like, this is a fucking mess. I hate this album. Uh, and you know, I knew that people would feel that way, but I made it and I liked it. And, uh, and then now though, it's like they half of my fans are like, that's my favorite album of all time. Like that's the best one that you've ever made. Whereas at the time it was like, Oh, this is a career ruining failure of an album. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, there's Exuvium that I just released that I was fully expecting people to feel the same way about because um it's not nearly as messy, but it's very purposefully uncomfortable in certain areas and like purposefully bizarre. Um, like, it's like maybe- a
2: waveform, man. You know, waveform goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what not saying it's good or bad, but that that's definitely there's not you're. These tracks don't go linear or it's not like building up an audience for the uh, encore, so to speak. I agree. that That's my perspective of listening to it. Ultraviolet, though, is the craziest fucking track for me. Ultraviolet's the craziest one. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this one I was expecting it to do poorly. And instead, everyone's like, this is the best album you've you've ever made. I don't know if I've ever had this positive reception for an album besides Cataclysm. Um, so I just sort of learned to like, never expect anyone to like it because then you're going to make it kind of like the uh, right. As if everyone, you know, is dead, you know, don't write with anyone else in mind, just do what you would want to make by yourself and then expect no one to like it. And then if they do, it's like, Whoa, this is awesome. It's a lesson that I've learned so many times and I tell so many people about, and yet I forget all the fucking time. It's like. Every album that I've ever made that is only for me is the best thing that I've ever done in my opinion. And then, in and then ultimately in most people's opinions, like every album that people really focus on, they're the ones that I made when I was like, fuck it. I'm not gonna. I'm just going to make whatever I want. <laughs> like angels was that way. Cataclysm was that way. This out, al- this last album was that way. Dysphoria was that way. All of people's f- favorite albums for the most part are the ones where I'm like, sort of discouraged about my career and just kind of like, fuck it. I mean, if I already don't think people are going to like what I'm doing, why not make just the most me thing possible? Cause at least I'll, I'll like it. Exactly. And yet it's so easy. And I'm sure this is something that plagues so many different artists, but it is so easy when you start doing well to look at what you've done well and be like, let me do that again. Cause that did well. Because like, of course, as a human being, like the feeling of people adoring what you do is so addictive. It's so easy to get swept up in that and be like, well, I I could make this new risky thing or I could make whatever has already been approved by the populace, you know, the, the product that has already proven its viability. Um, but thankfully, there's a part of me that just, I feel like would just rot and die if I started doing that. I feel like I'm just betraying everything that I stand for. So, thankfully, that's sort of kept me on the path. But there's still been moments where I'm like, all right, I'm not going to make the same thing. Well, let me just incorporate some of those aesthetic elements because I know people love that shit. You know,
2: yeah, it's evolution. I I
1: always regret when I do that.
2: (laughs) Okay. Never mind. Uh... Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, just for me personally, I don't think that applies to everybody. But for me, you know, and part of this is just my personality type. I don't know if you know, if you like the Enneagram, but Enneagram type fours, which a lot of artists are, but it it is, I feel like especially I'm like super, super four. It's like this obsession with authenticity. It's like, if it's not authentic, it does not matter at all. And I think that really keeps, that's, that's why I'm not really exaggerating when I say, if I like just stuck with one thing and made it, I feel like part of my soul would just rot and die. It really feels like that. It's like, that what so much of what makes me who I am I would be forsaking you know just for money just for success like no part of me also really wishes I could it would be sick to just like I mean, if I had made Cataclasm and then just kept making Cataclasm over and over again, God, I'd be so rich. Like, that album killed. Everyone was obsessed with it. If I had kept not that, like, ever, the industry was like, whoa, he made this now. What's his next thing going to be? And if I had just, you know, and then I put out an EP that sort of tidied people over, but then I put out Widow, which you know, was just completely not the same aesthetic at all. But if I had, you know, man, I mean, it. sometimes I do, I see my friends, you know, acquaintances who do that sort of thing. And it's like, man, you can really fucking kill it. You can start headlining some fucking, you know, 10,000 person venues. I mean, that would be fun. But, you know, there's a part of me that just won't allow myself to do that. So what's the most, uh, what's the biggest venue that you have
2: played at to date?
1: Um. <clears throat> I mean, I've played a lot of, there was a season right after I released Skeletons where uh, my touring schedule was just crazy. And I was getting all these spots on festivals that I was like, I'm playing after that? Who got me this fucking slot? Like I played Electric Forest at like 9 p.m. on Friday on the main stage and it was like 10,000 people for my solo set, which was just like fucking wild to me. Cause you know, three years earlier I was playing for like a hundred people. And then uh, I played with bass nectar who is canceled now, but I, I did a a spot with him in front of like 60,000 people, which was pretty fucking wild as well. Holy shit. Um, But, but usually when I do my tours and headline shows, it's like, Anywhere from four hundred to a thousand cap venues. It's um, a lot. Yeah, it's still it's still really fun. I mean, I love playing, especially smaller venues that are totally sold out. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. I mean, there's all this music that I've just been like, in my normal do 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 day to day life, just working on. You know, not not in this like you know, sort of elevated, like, whoa, this is the life sort of position at all, just like grinding on these little mix downs, just like spending six hours making 0.5 decibel adjustments to one little zone on a kick trying to get it right. And, you know, just writing this stuff totally alone. And then I get to go on tour and then hear this huge crowd screaming these lyrics back at me. And it's like, that's always the moment where it hits me that like, that this stuff has its own life outside of me and is living, you know, and playing these roles in other people's lives and so much so that they know every word to it, you know, and, and that to me, that's like one of the most rewarding parts of even though touring is a fucking nightmare, being on stage and having that experience is one of the things that makes making music so worth it, especially music. That's really lyrically focused because if I was writing like throwaway lyrics, like there are some songs that when people sing them back, I'm like, I don't fucking care. I, these don't these lyrics don't mean anything. I mean, they of course mean something, but they're they're not meaningful to me. But then there are other songs that it's like, these are like these lyrics are the beating heart of my soul. And when people sing them back to me, it's just like oh.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. So this one person, his name's Mr. Nobody, that's his username. Uh, he wrote the world needed run uh, your handle run cry wolf on a podcast. Have you actually you don't know the answer to this? I didn't look into it. Have you been on other podcasts
1: before? No,
2: I haven't. That's fucking crazy.
1: And I want to be on more, but there aren't a lot of like podcasts in the electronic music world. Um, For some reason, like I've done a lot of interviews, mm-hmm. but. I have not been on any podcast before this, and that's the love podcast. So, I hope I do more. I want to do well, some more about this album, too. It's like fun you podcasts. should.
2: Um, yeah, I, I know at least one he's British, but I know at least one podcast, uh, it's focused on music. I gotta look it up to remember.
1: I Hit him up, yeah, I will. Him after him I got, after, I got some crazy talking. stories to tell,
2: <laughs> yeah, save it for here. No, I'm just kidding, not spread around, but um. Had another brain fart, man. My bad. I'm a little sick. Uh, full, you know. People that listen to the show, you'll hear it in my voice. It's a little bit different.
1: So, oh so no, I did. I, I dude, I've, the difference between like it's endlessly frustrating to me. The difference between me when my brain is doing like randomly farting and me when I'm like just not thinking about it. I can have the worst brain farts. or like I can become the stupidest person in the world when I just get in my head about the things or when I'm just like, <laughs> when I'm just tired or yeah, somewhat sick or stuff like that. And it's so frustrating to me. I'm like, I, all I can put in my head is like one plus one equals duck. Two?
2: <laughs>
0: <It's> like, <laughs> uh,
2: I, I, want, I want to hear about your book club. Where'd that come from? And what's, is there any update?
1: Um, so, one of the things that I, um, over this last year and a half, um, I sort of, um, you know, I went through that whole terrible period and, um, the beginning of the end of that was actually me going to rehab. Um, I just like, my life had gotten to the point where it was just so unrecognizable to me. Every time I woke up, I was like, what am I doing? This is just so, so divorced from the way that I, from the type of life that really does it for me, that really moves me. Um, And uh, as a reaction to that, I was just engaging in like tons of drug use because it just allowed me to forget that I didn't like my life for a while. And it's not like I didn't like every aspect of my life. I had some amazing friends and I had, you know, some amazing experiences but overall I was not following like what my soul was telling me to do so uh, anyway ended up just kind of revamping everything moved out of LA went to rehab just took a year as a year-long sabbatical from cry wolf and started traveling and um, it was um, during that period that I started getting really into meditation not in not like seeking transcendence at all um but more more as a centering practice like i kind of figured out the mentality that i wanted to have towards myself i figured out the mentality i wanted to have towards the world at large towards other people towards um creative work uh towards my body things like that and just decided to I just kind of realized that a lot of my problems came from these neural pathways that had been developed that were so, so far away from how I really felt and so negative. And it was just so easy for my mind to go down these terrible routes where it would just Mm -hmm. result in this crippling anxiety and, and depression, which was what usually prompted me just getting fucked up for two weeks straight was me getting so anxious about everything and being like, Oh, well I can just, and then, Now I don't feel anything cool, okay. This is great, and so I realized if I really wanted to stop being an addictive person, I needed to stop being in states that led to that sort of thing, and I needed to retrain my brain not to be taking the easy way out all the time. So, anyway, started. God, I have the longest answers to things. Um, no,
2: that's good, that's perfect for this platform,
1: okay. Yeah, see, that's why I wanted to do more podcasts (laughs) because the interviews are usually like, dude, we can't write this four paragraph response that you had to this one Uh, shows
2: go from anywhere to from an hour (laughs) to two hours, sometimes two hours and
1: 15 minutes. So yeah, it's all good. So the, um, I started meditating every morning and, and just through like, through getting out of my head and really revamping my life, I think it allowed me to focus on myself a lot less because I was fine for the first time in a long time. And I just was like generally pretty happy. And uh, I think when you are in a really good place, I think that caring about the world really stems and the, the, the juice that you can give the world flows from the love that you have for yourself or the the care that you're investing in yourself. And when you're in a place of, you know, where you feel like your cup is overflowing, it's so easy, it's overflowing already, you might as well spill it into something versus being in this place of dearth where you feel like there's nothing there even for yourself. So how would you give to other people? When I started feeling like I was just like, overflowing with kind of drive and passion and love and just the desire to do things in the world, I was kind of like, shit I want to do things for these people that have been supporting me for so long and you know I want to integrate that with my interests and um, I don't know just create a situation where I can have more one-on-one interaction with them because I do meet and greets after shows Mm. and I do these sort of virtual meet and greets after live streams and those are always some of my favorite elements of of being a musician is getting this one-on-one interaction, getting to hear people's stories and, and getting to give my input on, on people's problems or their, um, and not you know, just like people, people that might be struggling with these like really, really profound questions that, like I said, a lot of times my fan base is experiencing exactly what I was experiencing like two years ago, which, it's this weird sort of like intertwinedness that I feel like is probably somewhat similar to the way that girls periods sync up when they're living together. Like, you know, something in like when you're deeply involved with somebody that like your lives sort of start syncing up. And that's, I think that's why my music always hits really hard for a lot of them because, it comes out two years, usually like a year or two years after I write it. And so that's, it's usually like exactly pertinent for where they are in their lives. And because of that, when I have one-on-one interaction with them, I just feel like a lot of times the questions that they're asking in life are things that I'm like, Oh, I know I was in the exact same place. And it's not like I have the answers, but I have sort of like, well, here's what I did. You know, here's, you know if somebody is in the same period that i was talking about like this crazy dark night of the soul it's easy for me to look back at that cuz it's so recent in my life and go okay you know everybody everyone's different but here's sort of the direction that i went with this and it was immensely helpful to me and that always just kind of i don't know it gives this personal it just makes my work feel so much more uh immediate and, re- and, and and important to me because <clears throat> usually there's sort of this faceless mass of numbers that are listening to something, oh, it has this many plays, oh, there's this many comments. it's like, okay there you know there are people listening but it's not like I really I don't really connect with the fact that that this music is sometimes playing such a huge role in people's lives until I hear people's stories, And talk to them one on one. And so I just sort of wanted to facilitate that connection more. And, um, you know, just it seemed like so often a lot of them were, it was really meaningful for them to have that one on one interaction. And I was like, these people have been supporting me so much. Like these, these, these intense fans are like the reason I have a career. they're the reason that i can continue making music full-time with no other obligations because these people are supporting me and i just got kind of overwhelmed with this desire to to do something that was a little bit more them focused instead of just you know making my own music and doing what i do and then benefiting second hand instead doing something that's more like intentional for them and uh you know, I don't want to do anything that's not for me at all. And I was like, I've really wanted to be in a book club. So that kind of seems like the perfect little in-between here where I get something that I've really wanted to do and that I'm passionate about. Um, I read fucking constantly, especially over the last year and a half. I'm just like reading two to three hours a day, every single day. And so, you know, it's a huge part of my life and sharing that with people and um introducing people to works that are really important to me. um, I thought would be really cool for them. So yeah, we started that up and we did a whole, I think it was like three months or something. We read through the prophet, which is one of my absolute favorite books. And uh, I kind of made little study guides for each chapter that we went through. And we would just have these two to three hour meetings every Saturday and go through it and sort of go through the questions that I had prompted um, which was cool, but I, I look forward to doing it with like some fiction work because hmm. the prophet is more, it's like a Lebanese religious text. It's more of like a esoteric, not spiritual, but just like a like wisdom focused um, text. It's like reading. It's like, if you read Marcus Aurelius or something, you know, it's more like philosophical life stuff the nature of joy and sorrow or of, of pain or things like that. Um, hmm. And it's a really beautiful work, but it was more, it's more like real life stuff. Whereas like, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like when we're doing something fiction, like one of my favorite sci-fi books or something like that. Like that would be really fun to introduce people to those for the first time. Cause there are some books that I'm just like, this has changed my life forever. Like I cannot imagine my creative mind without this book playing such a huge role and it's it's such a joy for me to introduce friends of mine to those books so introducing like a larger group having it be required reading for them i'm like yes
2: i I thought you were gonna do dune at some point because i saw that in the background and you and i talked
1: about dune uh when we first started Dune would be a good one i mean i do think that like you know dune was the first sci-fi that i read after not really reading for a long time I, and I had not felt that way about a book since I was a kid reading like Harry Potter. I mean, the obsessive, like, I mean, when Harry Potter would come out, it would come out at midnight and I would be at the bookstore and I would get it and I would be done with it by the morning time. Like I, it was just, and I could not stop. Like that was the first thing that my hyper focus applied itself to was just like, I mean, if anyone had talked to me while I was reading, if, any, if there was anything else I had to do, I would just be like. This is the only thing that matters right now. And Dune for the first time as an adult, I felt that way about a fiction book because I really didn't read fiction as an adult very much. And I was like, Oh, there's a whole world of books that are made for adults, not just made for kids of fiction books that are like made by really smart people. Holy shit. So it was the first thing that I got really into, but I will say that, you know, since it was, it was the OG, And so many of those concepts are so novel and so fascinating when you, when you haven't read sci-fi, but now that I've read so much more recent sci-fi revisiting Dune is a little bit like, Oh yeah, that idea. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's not as, as striking. And when I've recommend, when I've given people like my top three sci-fi recommendations, usually Dune is like at the lowest of those in terms of their enjoyment of it, because they've already read a lot of other sci-fi and a lot of those ideas, are not as new to them as um, as as they would be if you had not read sci-fi and you just read Dune for the first time. Whereas if that somebody hasn't sense. read sci-fi, I'm like, read Dune first, definitely. That, <laughs> will, that will result in like the highest enjoyment for you of that book.
2: So overall, has it been fun, the book club?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Um, I think it was like, I was playing a little bit more of like a leadership role than I would like. I kind of want to like when we do the next book I sort of want to play more of a backseat role like let other people lead the actual meetings so that I can just be a participant and that's way more fun for me um at the time I kind of felt like I needed to take control and steer everything but I think the the group is like really firmly established now and they're all like really close friends and I think um I think now I could just sort of like let it go by itself. And then it's just something that every week I get to attend versus something that I'm preparing for and getting in the right headspace and, and all that.
2: Look towards, that. That's awesome, man. And uh, I'm really curious, is there any artists you're open to talk about publicly who you who are your dream artists to work with? Is there a list? Is there one? A couple? any genre. I mean, like if you could, what I like to see in really any art form, you know, music or movies or whatever is see someone in a role that previously I wasn't aware that they could pull off. Like I bring this up a lot for movies. Um, Adam Sandler, he's we're both 90 kid 90s kids. He was uh, about
1: uncut gems.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I thought he <laughs> it was crushed like it. I I i saw it in theaters i i personally loved it i thought he crushed it and um
1: i love when when actors do that i'm like i thought they were so lame and they're actually really whoa that's awesome i i love when that happens i mean that happened in a smaller way for me with channing tatum i like i just thought he was like which one lame movie uh god i can't remember what the or like jonah hill is another great example You know, he's like the super bad kid that was just like super lewd. And it was funny to watch this young kid saying, Oh, 21 Jump Street. Uh, Yeah, 21 Jump Street was like, Oh, he's fucking funny, dude. Like, this is fucking hilarious. But then watching Jonah Hill in like, uh, what was it, Moneyball? Or um, like, he's done a number of like really, you know, more serious things. Yeah, he's he's a really good actor and like really moving, you know, as a person. There's this documentary
2: that came out, and this is kind of relatable to what we've been talking about, where he has it about his um, therapist. And I started watching
1: that. Yeah,
2: I want to watch it. It looks really intriguing. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks really good. And uh, I've also seen other videos where it's just like a string of interviewers poking fun of him, making like jokes about him, him smelling bad or... His weight, I think it's so fucked up. Like, man, even even you, like I'm I'm a blue collar guy. I don't get paid for this shit. Like I wish I did. I'm not in the public eye, eye like you, in the sense where like there's a few people that you know listen to the show and uh I, there's quite a few that listen to the show, but it's not it's not on the same level as what you experience. And I bring that up because um when well okay, even independent authors actually like me it seems like other like general humans uh, I guess I'll call them they see people doing art and it's like they think they're allowed to just talk to you however they want. And I've experienced that a few times I know other people have and it's very weird that uh you know you make something that others will be like that's not a real job. I mean it is but, you know, you get those naysayers that say that's not a real job. And do you, you, you kind
1: of get what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You know, it's like you see when you see an artist operating in abstract and you haven't seen them as a you haven't like interacted with them as a person or seen them in an informal setting, they sort of seem more like an archetype or like a. You know, like a character from a book or something. Yeah. Like you read a character from a book, you can shit on them all you want. They're just a character, you know. They're not you're not you're not connected. Frodo. <laughs> they don't have, yeah, you can be like, God, oh, I hate Frodo. You're not like, Oh, how's Frodo gonna think about? Him? How's he gonna yeah. feel about me saying this? You know, I know that he's a real person with real feelings. He's that. a real hobbit, man. Um, so yeah, people do that and and um you know, people will do that for my albums or for my you know, tours or something like that. And I'll read something of just some scathing review of what I do where people are just shitting on me. And I'm like, (gasps) but at the same time, I can't really hate on that because like I said, I get it. I've done that. There are people that are, I'm not going to name who these people are. There are people who are my, some of my best friends now that when I was younger, like eight years ago, I would shit on them endlessly because i didn't know them <laughs> they just seemed like these random characters it's not like i would shit at. okay to be fair i've never done it online i'm not like doing it so that they'll read it no i got you but i like, understand in, but but it's kind of the same thing like i'm i would do it you know talk about them with friends of mine or something or they would come up in conversation and i'm like Fuck that person um But, and and I get that people have that same sort of feeling about artists. It's like, they're not going to read this. They're not going to see this thing. I don't, they're not going to read these comments and see me doing this. I'm just, it's like the YouTube comment sections, you know, there's it's like this completely penalty free. It seems like this penalty free place to just air all of your your grievances. Yeah. Or Reddit. Oh my God. Reddit. I mean, it's like, people just feel like they can say anything because it's kind of this anonymity. And you really don't think the person is going to read it for the most part, I think. Um, so I can't really hate on those people too much because I, I do see where that comes from. And you it's kind of hard to get over that unless you've been on the opposite end of it and realized how, how much those things can really affect you, especially for artist types who are often so sensitive and so almost fragile in certain ways.
2: It's crazy to me when I see very publicly one writer talking shit about like maybe a guy that's writing for a show or whatever not for any bad reason like you're associated with this guy who's a well-known whatever a terrible act is but just because like it's a show that maybe for some reason writer a thinks less of and now writer b's writing that but my point is is like i've learned stuff real quick that we are one writer away from knowing everyone. Like, I know a bunch of people that are in Stephen mm-hmm. King's camp. I can never get him on the show. Like, he doesn't do most of them, like, most interviews and stuff. I know that because I know his friends or other people like Chuck Palahniuk. I knew him because of a friend of mine who started out listening to the show. And I'm bringing that up because um, I won't even go out and say anything about actors or whatever because i just think it's a waste of time but on top of that like i'm trying to pursue that for the show so it's fucking stupid but not even if you're talking about having a show but as like as writers in, in my world i just always think like you don't know who's watching your feed it could be a publisher it could be an agent it could be someone you know someone that you may want to depend on and this can apply for any you know anything Something that someone that you may want to depend on, well, they could see how you're trashing them, or maybe they're friends with the person that you're shitting over. And guess what? You're probably not going to
1: get that potential job. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's also like, I think it goes deeper than just the practical oh well what if people see this and and think badly of me or or, you know a publisher or someone important sees this and has a connection to that person that I'm shitting on I think it also is like I think people that are are smart often that sort of thing comes off as really juvenile um juvenile yeah juvenile juvenile. it Um, depends
2: if you're fancy or not but I say juvenile I'm not fancy.
1: Uh, <laughs> because like I think when I was younger, I always really wish, like, God, I wish I could just be the person who just says, says whatever I'm thinking, you know, just like shit on all these people. Um, because the way that I create art is is a very niche thing. It's a very specific way of creating art. Um, to me, it it's tempting to feel like that is the way to create art and like that is the standard for art and to you know sort of uh, mentally look down on people who aren't doing art from that same place but I think as I matured I realized that that was actually very like closed-minded thinking I was taking my own standard for myself and applying it to the entire populace and that's just Mm. like people don't have the same it's not the same standards they don't have the same thing that they're focusing on which is sort of the heart of the whole enneagram thing and it was so mind-blowing to me to kind of learn more about it is like the core drive that you have the core thing that you're like this is the most important thing for a human being to be that is not the same throughout all people so like you know for instance my sister she's a, a type 1 which is obs- obsession with order and doing things right doing things that are good and so, you know, we've always had differences growing up because I was just like the black sheep kid who never wanted to follow any rules. And she was like, but that's not right. That's not the right thing to do. And to me, it was always like, so fucking, we- why would you care about that? You know, like for her, my my environment getting trashed up when I'm working on a creative project would drive her fucking crazy. But that's because for her, that is her priority. That is the thing that in her the deepest part of her being, that is what makes her feel whole is having her environment and the things that she does be precise and right. And for me, what makes me feel whole is the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm engaging in being authentic, but also like that sort of feeling like I'm staring at the face of God. Like that is the thing that gives my life meaning. The thing that gives her life meaning is feeling like she's at the exact center of this you know, sort of like she has done everything she can to perfect the way that she's doing things. And if you don't understand that, it's so easy to shit on other people mm. because you're like well by my this is you you apply your standard or the thing that mat the things that matter most to you to the entire world and if you do that, it looks like everyone else not everyone, but it looks like a lot of people fucking suck because they're failing by every metric that you know of how to gauge how well you're doing. Um, And, you know, so I I fell into that a lot when I was younger and and learning how to make art from this really authentic, make the art you would make on a desert island sort of place. It was really easy to look at anyone who was making pop music or making the music they made before or making things that panders to audiences and be like, they are failing as an artist. Because if I did that, I would be failing as an artist. But taking that same standard and, and projecting it on others was not, was not a very mature viewpoint. It was like a pretty close-minded and black and white viewpoint. And it's exactly what people are doing in politics. And it's exactly, you know, liberal people, their standard is how do we move forward? How do we look at the next thing? How do we like improve the social sphere and conservative people are like, how do we stick with the strong foundations that we've built and the things that we've already established? And both of them are looking at the other party and going, "You're a fucking failure," by my metric of what a person should be focusing on. And they're just focusing on different things, but yet they're just in this endless, you know, feud because both of them refuse to to stop for a second and be like, maybe. In the in the wise words of my sister, the the quote that changed my life but sounds so silly is, different people are different. I was <laughs> like, I think when I was like twenty three or twenty four, I was back home and I was sitting in the living room with my sister and my brother, and I was like ranting about all these people that settle for things and stay in their hometown and work a normal job and just, like you know just being this very like angsty fight club inspired uh you know teenager mind stuck in a slightly more adult body and you know just raging against the norm raging against the people that go with the flow whatever people that don't break out and do something crazy and she was like justin different people are different it's like such a silly thing to say but i was like that was literally the first time i ever even considered that I had just been applying my same standards for like, go do the crazy, you know, go, go let yourself get hit by the train of life. Fuck safety. Fuck, you know, building things. You don't need to do that. You need to discover the next thing. And I was just applying it to everybody. And it seems like everyone was just like being cowards to me. And I had never considered, I had never considered like, maybe they don't give a fuck about this at all. (laughs) And they're actually like. Hey, what about building a community? What about, like, you know, be, like really pouring into relationships and building this rich network of people who support each other? What about they're doing this, and this, and this? And then when you go by that standard, they're fucking thriving. And yet I was looking at them and being like, fucking sheeple. You know, it, it, it just seems really ignorant to me now. And so my point is, all of that to say, uh, I could, you know, if, if I look at someone's account and they're shitting on a bunch of other people. The, and those people clearly have just different priorities than them to me i go "Eh, it's kind of an ignorant person you know and it, less likely to work with them for sure so i'm kind of glad that i never got into that or like allowed was like you know what i'm gonna be the person who says what he's what he's thinking and you know started shitting on people the way that i wanted to because we just had a president that did that looked up look how that ended justin right right <laughs> i, mean, yeah, I would have gotten more popular in the moment as like if- this higher brand you know but I wouldn't be respected as as an artist as much and I wouldn't be able to look back and go you know I'm pretty happy with how I handled myself I would have to look back and be like god damn it my life, that shit and go, go delete a ton of tweets
0: <laughs>
2: so is there any artist or artists uh, that you would love to work with dream bucket list artist oh yeah 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 um, I forgot about that until I looked at my notes man so I don't feel
1: yeah I mean It's kind of hard for me to separate that from the fact that I get so nervous around people that I really fuck with artistically that it is so hard for me to collaborate with them like I've gotten the chance to collaborate with a couple people that I that I really respect and it's always just a train wreck because I it's like I cannot access any of my artistry because I'm so nervous uh, but if I take that element out, like if I imagine, okay, what would, if there was going to be a really successful collaboration with other artists, um, I would say probably maybe like M83 would definitely be way up there. Uh, Alt J, Bon Iver, Um, Ooh,
2: bon, bon Iver. Yeah. Oh, I would love. God. he's so
1: That would make sense. Bon Iver was actually like the origin of the inspiration for my writing style. Um, One of the first artists that I listened to that I was like, the ultimate example of like, why would you say that next? How did you go from this to this? And how is it so exactly what you should have said? What logic are you following here that, that made you put these lines together in this way that just, breaks my heart and I don't even know why it's like the pure communication of of an emotion like a specific emotion and I don't mean an emotion that we have words for I mean like the the sort of ineffable you know uh uh chaos of 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 emotions that have all these shades and all these in-between points and we have these central words but there are all these emotions in in between that that can only really be expressed by much more abstract um lyricism and he was the first person that i listened to that did that so effectively um and with with apparently no rhyme or reason but then later i learned how to access that separate realm of rhyme or reason that he was really operating in uh but the reason that i that i really got super fascinated with that sort of abstract lyricism was from him so working with him obviously would be so 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 cool if it was successful but i do think that if i was around him i would be like you would be writing this brilliance and i would be like oh baby you broke my heart just make some bullshit like i i feel like it would be so hard to access those like real places of artistry i get i get psyched out so easily oh no you guys wouldn't make good music though I think then, we, I, I've learned how to collaborate with people now. I have to make something first and then send it to them. And then that always ends up be doing really well. Like my collab with Eden, if we had like gotten in a room and written together, I don't think anything great would have come out of it because I wouldn't have been able to show up artistically. But instead, I wrote this whole song first and was like, he would be perfect to him <laughs> and then he wrote like a verse for it. And that ended up working out super well
2: so m83 hurry up we're dreaming that's the only album i a physical album i own by them but it's damn good i got that jesus years ago and um that'd be cool that'd be real cool to see you working with them um
1: yeah he's just so so fucking good i've been really revisiting a lot of his work recently and uh it's just masterful emotionally definitely a huge inspiration of mine when it comes to Cataclysm and certain pieces that I've made. Like I really hear the M83 inspiration in there.
2: Yeah, I, I could tell. Um, now is the part of the show where we're going to start winding down. Um, you want to talk about what you are currently reading?
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. I just finished uh, the Sparrow. Have you read that? No um it's um it's one that's been on my list for a really long time one of those books that every review is like this book is fucking amazing it's completely unique it's its own thing and yet the the synopsis for it sounded so like uninteresting to me it was like a group of jesuit priests make first contact with aliens and i was like i don't want to read about that that sounds so lame um but the, God, I mean, the, the the characterization and the understanding of, not just the understanding of interpersonal dynamics, but the, the understanding of what's beautiful about lots of different interpersonal dynamics um, that that author has and how that comes across in her writing. I think it's a her. Um, it's just such a poetic book. Like my favorite things are, are books that can, can combine really interesting, geeky ideas with, with like really deeply beautiful poetic prose. Um, And uh, yeah, that, that, that book has just been so, the the book and the the sequel to it have just been really, really moving me a lot recently. And it's been a great, a great find of mine. Um, I've also been, on the more nonfiction side reading a lot of Richard Rohr who uh, is this Franciscan monk, um, which once again, when people told me about him, I was like, I don't want to read a fucking Franciscan monk. That sounds so lame. Um, But he is a very like forward thinking, like basically kind of a universalist um, and just one of those people that you're like, man, you know, what's up. You have, you have wisdom. Like he just, he just says things about the human experience that are just so poignant and moving. Um, and so those have been the two things that I've been going back and forth through, between recently. And man, it's so great when I have a fiction book and a nonfiction book. Yeah, that feels so much. And I just get to like go through my, because like I said, reading is, you know, fucking a fifth of my day. So when I have good books that I'm reading, I'm like t- a totally different person. I haven't read this one,
2: I'm not currently reading it, but I brought it out on my bookshelf for a reason. Um, it's called "Tough Voyaging" uh, by George R. R. Martin. It's it's a collection. Wow. Okay. It's science fiction, and it's his er- one of her, one of his earlier works, and it just felt like something that you would enjoy. But again, I haven't read it, so I can't. I, I can only say that my teacher <laughs> could not praise it any higher. Um, wow. Okay. Look at. Look at this. This is a book from the seventies, and I love how. I yeah, another one. Ah, like the colored pages, it's different from nowadays. But um, this is by the guy that wrote Psycho, uh, Robert Block. It's called uh, Dragons and Nightmares. I just started it, so I don't really have anything to say about it either. But I love Robert Block, and this is from the seventies, man. And look, they got cigarette ads in it. <laughs> wow in a book
1: <laughs> yeah. shit, I, I didn't I, know that was a thing
2: i also don't know what kent cigarettes are
1: so that's yeah. new to me ads from a failed cigarette company in your book and <laughs> not looking it's not seeing with very forward-thinking eyes for sure yeah it aged poorly um, like, yeah it'll be fine right now think about <laughs> what people are gonna think 10 years from now
2: <laughs> where can people follow you
1: Um, You can go to, uh, and Instagram is uh, run Crywolf. Are you in Crywolf? And uh, Facebook is the same thing. And um, yeah, I guess those are really the two main platforms that I post on now. I mean, I have a Discord server, and that's sort of the place that is really the home of Crywolf right now. Um, and sometimes I post a link on Instagram, I guess Instagram is still sort of the, I don't know, social media is so weird nowadays. It's like, I, I feel like there's not, there aren't any social media platforms that are really engaging me very much. It seems like everything is kind of lame and dead. So (laughs) that's because everyone's on discord and TikTok, which I just don't quite understand yet. Um, but Yeah. Instagram is the place where I will always post what I'm doing. So that's probably the best place to
2: not for nothing. It's just my opinion, but Elon Musk is a, he is not the right person to run a social media platform. <laughs> uh, I used to like that guy. And you know what? I'm not going to shit on you if you like him, but he just,
1: he's, he's such a jackass. Uh, yeah. I, I really have no idea. It's like at, at this point, anyone who postures themselves as a certain figure in the world I'm like, is that them? Is that not? Them? I have no idea who this person actually <sighs> is. It's such a thing now to be a character. So it's hard for me to really know if somebody is like that or if they're just smart. Because like, if you're smart and you're just trying to operate in the world and you don't care if people respect you, you just care if you are effective and reach people, it's like be a fucking jackass. Be the Donald <laughs> Trump, whatever <laughs> sector you're in, it clearly works. I don't know if he's even being himself, man. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't know if that's really like the stuff that he's doing or if he's just being smart the way that Donald Trump was in terms of being like, oh, wait, yeah, we're living in the reality show, the post-reality show's generation. Uh, Let me just be as much of a reality show participant as possible and then more people will pay attention and people will hate me, but I'm rich enough that it doesn't matter, so I'll just... (laughs) you know, become popular by doing this. I don't know. He he got everyone talking about Elon Musk. I don't know. I don't know. So I I kind of suspend judgment for those people. I do really, I really fuck with his visions and stuff. I don't really, I don't know. I don't pay attention enough to that stuff. People keep bringing up Elon Musk Twitter stuff and I'm like, I uh, he owns it making now. people pay for blue check mark i don't know the internet's roasting him anyway so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what it doesn't fucking matter you're right yeah. i don't know
1: I, I i i usually care more about what somebody does than what they're saying so i still i've always thought he was fucking awesome um i I'd, I'd much i'd really prefer him not making a buffoon of himself but um yeah, I don't. I just also just don't care enough to really look into it. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: fair, that's more than fair. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can follow us on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, that headspace, They're different has got an underscore and that's on Instagram. Uh, you know, just look it up. Maybe you'll find us. I don't know. Justin, do you have any final thoughts? Clearly, I give lots of shits that people follow us, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i should for sure i uh yeah yeah go follow me you know do me a solid <laughs> um, <laughs> uh final thoughts, final thoughts sir thoughts man um i've yeah, I finished uh most of a bottle of wine during this interview um nice final thoughts um uh, you know The only actually, instead of following me, just go listen to the recent album. That's actually the thing that I would request that somebody do. Um, And I would say listen to it when you are driving over the speed limit uh, with blood alcohol content slightly above the legal limit um, and really angry at something, and then (laughs) play the whole album all the way through. (laughs) I'm not, I am not condoning drunk driving i'm just saying if you happen to find yourself in that situation and you can't change it it's already done maybe pull over and listen to it on the side of the road there you go better thing to say publicly pull over listen to it on the side of the road anyway when you're in a mood when you're in a in just a specific state when you're angry listen to the album (laughs) read the lyrics along with it that's the only thing i would request that you do
2: I listen to it on the way to work sometimes, which is like six in the morning. It gets me pumped up, man. Like you said, Ultra Yeah, I guess. Violet.
1: I guess if you just want to use it like a cold plunge of a of of, of an uh, in audio form. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready well, to fuck something up.
2: The reason why I keep bringing up ultraviolet is because it starts switching up halfway through the song, and it gets just is it, that's the one at the end where it's got the um the chorus of uh, chance right.
1: No, no, that's Farlight. Oh fuck! Oh, I uh, was kind of curious that it was Ultraviolet. I was like, yeah, that's the most kind of like poppy song of the album. No, Farlight. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad you fuck with Farlight. Farlight is. Uh, I was actually about to take that off the album until about four weeks ago, and then whoa, yeah. Why'd you want to take it off? Uh, I just didn't know how to mix it. It was the mixing was terrible, and the mixing was. I was killing the mixing for all the rest of the album, and uh, with this guy that i was working with uh, austin and um that last one it just sounded like shit and i was like i don't know it's so chill it's so it's seven and a half minutes long and you know after this super engaging album it just seemed way too just like relaxed and everything but i'm so glad i put it on because lots of people really like it and then i added that last section to it and i was like okay i fucked with this now the whole like tribal chant
2: like, yeah i like that that really did something uh that just beefed it up mm-hmm. uh my final thoughts are i appreciate everyone to talk to you for a long time i, I write to your music we will continue oh, to do awesome. so like i said for almost 10 years now i love it um it, it's really good for my fellow writers it's it is really neat to uh write to um next episode is 177 with donnie goodman and megan aka the horror babe the horror babe justin it's been a pleasure and Good. i would like it if you come back and i've uh I've already reached out to vintage society that's the other podcast i was thinking of i reached out to them already
1: sweet awesome. so i'll uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated i really appreciate it yeah
2: um Always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm I'm thankful that we got to do this, man. Awesome, dude. Have a good night, man. You too.